Good morning and welcome along to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan, on the show this morning. With interest rates set to hike next month, we'll be discussing what you should do to get the best outcome for your mortgage situation. And as Trinity College is named one of the top 100 universities in the world this month, we'll be hearing about some of its more unusual and fascinating architectural gems. And have you ever heard of Broken Plan Living? Well, former Home of the Year winner Jennifer Sheehan will be here to share with us the new alternative to Open Plan. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here in the Home Show for 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com or you will find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show at any time on our podcasts. They're all up there on the Newstalk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, you're very welcome along to the show this morning, folks, um, I, I really, when I was thinking about news topics for this week and talking about, uh, we have Martina Hennessy coming up in a few moments talking about mortgages. But actually, when it comes to the housing situation and the crisis we're in, and we've been in for very, very many years, we've covered that issue dozens of times here in the Home Show and indeed across many of the other programmes here on News Talk. So it isn't surprising that it has reached the ears of that hoary old socialist president, Higgins. Indeed, to ministers' consternation during the week, it came down like a sledgehammer on the government, calling the housing situation a disaster. Now, of course, he's not really supposed to do that because he's above politics, but he regularly strays into public commentary on all sorts of things. And who, by the way, is to stop him? Not the government. They realise that his ratings are a lot better than theirs most of the time. And it's a very brave minister who will tell him to keep his mouth shut. But what exactly was his point? What did President Higgins think would happen as a result of his commentary, outburst, rant? Like, was he? what was he looking for above cheap point scoring? Now, look, I think Michael D is great and I'll be sorry when he leaves office, but I wonder if this isn't the kind of thing you really shouldn't be doing. Uh, he is the president. He is supposed to rise above all that and, you know, talk maybe about absolutely put your socialist hat on, but not in a way that criticises government policy. Or maybe you think he's just saying what I'm thinking, Sinead. He should absolutely come out and do it. Well, look, let me know what you think, um, because he's he's going to do more of this and he's got a few years left. And, you know, maybe this is what we need. Maybe we need people on high to call this stuff out where they see it. 53106 uh, for a cost of 30 cent if you want to get in touch this morning or the home show at newstalk.com. And you are very welcome along. Now, first up today, there's a lot of worry out there right now about the European Central Bank's announcement of an imminent interest rate hike. And actually, uh, the first of a range of imminent interest rate hikes. So whether or not you should lock into what you have, switch your mortgage, what to think about when when this comes along next month uh, is going to be on the minds of everybody in the country who has a mortgage. So I am delighted in studio to have an expert with me, Martina Hennessy from Digital Mortgage Platform, to talk us through all that is about to happen. Martina, you're very welcome back to studio. Thank you, Sinead. And now, listen, this is um, an odd one. First time since 2011 there's been any increase at all. Rates have been flatlined at zero since 2016. 
So for a lot of people who only took out their mortgage in the last 10 years, this will be a bit of a shock. Absolutely. The first time for many homeowners that they've experienced interest rate increases. And what we're seeing, Sinead, is just the, the, the absolute shock for people that rates go up. We've been flatlined, as you <laughs> said. And unfortunately, they do. Um, and as you've said, like six years, the ECB base rate has been 0%. So everybody who's been smug like myself on a tracker rate uh, are now going, oh God, they actually what that goes up. Mean? Yeah, what does that yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I remember the time because I'm very elderly. Mm. <laughs> My first mortgage, uh, which I got out during the currency crisis. Now you're you're kind of looking back at the the early nineties here, and uh, interest rates had gone up to brace yourself, folks, about seventeen <laughs> percent. It was utterly ridiculous. Oh. Uh, some people will remember that time. It wasn't fun. Um, so yes, rates do go up now. T- start with they haven't actually gone up yet so no. what do we know so the at the July monetary policy meeting uh, which is the 21st of July um, Christine Lagarde last week uh, announced that rates are going to go up by a quarter of a percent so that's a, that's for sure um, there's been speculation that rates will go up for you know obviously due to inflation for the last number of months but you know really last week they now, uh, the, the ECB announced that not only will they go up in July but also in September and the increase in September so it's 25 basis points or a quarter of a percent in July and the expectation is that there will be a further increase in September which could be a half percent so I suppose cumulatively if we're talking about you know three quarters of a percent increase this year alone and that's you know, a given at this stage. And actually, I, I have heard less conservative commentators suggesting that it could tip over 1% mm. or even one and a half by early next year because Christine Lagarde, in fairness to her, I mean, Mario Draghi, the previous boss, the ECB, was nothing if not completely ambiguous all of the time. Mm. Christine Lagarde at least has the benefit of clarity. And she has said this is the first in a sustained series. Yeah, she actually said it's not just a step, it's a journey. Do we want to know where that journey ends? (laughs) I hate that term. All right. Well, if if she is going on a journey, we're all going with her one Mm. way or the other. All right. Now, let's break it down for people out there depending on the type of mortgage uh, they have. Now, you mentioned trackers there, uh, Martina. They're going to feel the pain first. Absolutely. So 30 days after a rate increase, if you have a tracker mortgage, your margin is a fixed margin to the ECB base rate. So once the ECB base rate increases, your rate will increase 30 days after and therefore your repayments will increase immediately. So tracker mortgage holders are absolutely exposed to ECB base rate increases. So uh, they will be impacted firstly. Uh, You'll also see and we have seen over the last number of months that funding costs are increasing. So as you know variable rate mortgage holders will I would say you know absolutely also feel the pinch yeah. because there will be an increase on the variable rate. Is there anybody still on a very standard variable rate? Uh, 220,000 households in Ireland are still I on mean, standard is, variable rates. I can't understand this because they are the most expensive rates in the market. Yes. Okay, they fluctuate at whatever the bank chooses. Mm-hmm. To I mean, Bank of Ireland, I know, is, is upwards of like 4.5%, something uh, like yeah. that. Ulster Bank's not much better mm. at the variable rate. Now, though, they're banks that offer really good fixed rates. You know. And like, it's human nature. People roll off fixed rates. They they the default is always the standard variable rate yeah. and the bank isn't going to say to you oh come off that it's rate like coming off, It's like coming off a fixed rate contract for your phone and going on to the highest possible tariff yeah. you know? and not thinking about it and yeah. for people their mortgage is the biggest ticket item in their household and sometimes people don't actually take control of it and look and see what rate they're okay, on Okay, we'll, so we'll come on to that later so trackers will go up 30 days after they announced the rate, yes. which we think will be in July. Well, we're told it'll be in July. Uh, so from the from the middle of August or the end of August, bang. Yes. They're up immediately. So have your money in your account. 
what if it's a quarter percent what are we looking at is that about give us an example yeah, of so how much in euros yeah. and cents people what, have what, to what's buy. the real deal here so for every 100,000 that you have borrowed or that you owe over 25 year period so a quarter percent increase is 12 euro 50 a month so if you owe 300,000 you're talking about 37.50 per month okay. uh, or 450 a year and obviously given this the 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 I suppose indications that it'll be a quarter a three quarters of a percent this year that you're talking about on 300,000 that would be 1350 a year Ouch. per annum. I mean, yeah. that's a big deal really, isn't it? For, it is. For people, especially at the moment when they're spending so much more on things like energy costs. Household costs have yeah. just so gone up. Like, yeah. so everything. This is an, a further bur- burden for homeowners Indeed. because you have your energy costs, you have fuel, you've, everything is just going up so and high. And of course, it's a double whammy really because the very reason it's going up is because inflation is rampant yeah. and inflation is rampant because fuel costs have gone up. So it's like a vicious circle, isn't it really? Absolutely. Like, and right now, the only indications are that all of these things are going to increase household costs and it's a very tricky time for homeowners. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that's trackers and variable rate customers. They they get no kind of umbrella or shelter. They're they're straight away up. Now, what about those who are in fixed rate contracts? So they've another year or three years or five years to go on their fixed rate. Are are they protected now from this? Yeah. So while you're in a fixed rate contract, the only way to be sure of what your payments are are to be on a fixed rate. So when you're in the fixed rate contract, regardless of what happens with market rates, your rate and your payments always going to stay the same. The one thing I call out for those uh, homeowners, we're, we're as Irish consumers, we've tended to take mortgage um, fixed rates of, you know, two, three, five year fixed. So that was historically because that was all that was available and the pricing on them was competitive. If we look now, my clients would take five, seven, 10, 15. Mm. They're not taking two and three. But all those people maybe over the last number of years who have been on short tail fixed rates, they're going to ro- roll out in an environment where rates are much higher. So the one thing we're kind of saying to clients or saying to people in general is, if you have a short term fixed rate, maybe it's an opportunity now to look to see if you can uh, break out of that fixed rate, check if you have a break penalty and, and, and break penalties have actually reduced over the last six months because the funding costs have increased and they're related to that funding cost. It's a calculation in relation to when you lock in versus when you break out know, and what the funding costs are. Yeah. Formula Very worthy of calculus in <laughs> higher, ca- higher level yeah. math. Uh, so, so what you're saying is, Martina, is if you're in that that kind of um, low year fixed rate, it's actually worthwhile ringing your bank and saying, if I were to move to a different fixed rate, would you charge me to do so? Uh, and and in, all, in a lot of cases, they'll say, no, we won't because they want to lock in the customer, don't they? Is there a difference like, is there paperwork to do if you just move within your bank to a different fixed rate? Will they let you do that? And is there is there much involved? Because I think the whole idea of switching really puts people off. Yeah, well, so switching is obviously something that I'm a massive advocate of because if you're looking at market and you're saying, OK, what's the best rate? If you're locking in for five, seven, ten year fixed, you better get the lowest rate possible or else you're needlessly paying interest. Mm. But if you're somebody who can't switch or you're saying, OK, I just not in a position to be able to do it. Maybe your household has changed, your household, your, your income have changed etc if you contact your lender and ask if there's a penalty to break out of your fixed rate they'll advise you they might need to send it out to you it might take seven working days to come through but you will know then if you have a penalty in most cases at the moment there's a much reduced penalty if you called the bank 12 months ago there would have been a much higher penalty than there mm. is now because mm. of costing funding costs uh, 
I also, I would say that over the last 12 months, like, you know, we all know house price inflation, there have been double digit increases in house price values. So most lenders tier the rates by loan to value. Yeah, so so it, your equity has gone up because your house is worth more absolutely. and that means your loan to value, this crucial ratio. Yes. About how much. So, so you've de-risked it for the bank. Mm. And the big marker is once you hit, so somebody who's bought last year, say at 90% loan to value, now they're suddenly at 80% and the rates drop significantly at that loan to value mm. bracket. Mm. So not only would you be breaking out and if you can break out and you have no break funding fee fantastic you could probably lock in at a lower rate and longer mm. and the big thing is look at and say to yourselves where are we exposed is it the next five years is it the next ten years what what does pricing look like on those longer tail fixed rates yeah and I suppose I know the longer term fixed rates give you certainty of outgoing so you know in your heart and soul this is the maximum I'll be ever paying on my mortgage I I and I know there are companies now, especially the non-bank lenders, offering 10-year rates, 20-year rates. To me, I always feel that can be a risk in itself because life gets in the way. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to come down the road. You can probably guess the next three or five years, I'm going to be still in this house. I'm going to be still in my job. But in 10 years, 20 years, I mean, anything could have happened. You might want to pay down the debt with an inheritance. You might need to sell the property. You might get separated or divorced and have to sell it. You could be in all kinds of trouble then, couldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the problem. Like most long-term fixed rates aren't attractive because one, pricing, and two, because people go, well, I don't know where I'm going to be right in five, ten years' time. Um, Some of the lenders have actually... I suppose looked at a solution for that so they've capped break penalties right which means that the big risk of locking in is what if I have to break out for all those reasons you've said Sinead and and, and a lot of the lenders have come to a point where they're capping break penalties so you know it's not this big long formula that we've all been Mm. used to it's a capped break penalty one of the lenders actually Finance Ireland has brought in a project where you can port your rate so if you lock in now where rates are lower if you decided you want to sell in five years time you can bring the portion of the mortgage that's left on that fixed rate that you've locked in now and port it to the new mortgage. Okay, so yeah. that's a good thing. And that's what a lot of the banks were doing with the morg- with the houses that were in negative equity. You were yes. actually taking a portion and holding on to it rather than having to pay off the whole thing and take out a whole new mortgage all over yes. again. So that okay, so that's a that's a good idea there. Now talk to me a little bit, Martina, um about people who haven't yet got a mortgage but are maybe planning one for this year they must be very nervous because first time buyers are they're strapped to the pin of their collar oh, at the best it's, of times. it's a difficult market for them to buy in the first place and then when you talk about interest rates increasing and affordability for a mortgage now they're probably paying rent that's you know astronomical so as we all know most most people if they're buying in Dublin their their mortgage is going to be lower than the rent yeah. once they actually yeah. secure a home now the, there's nothing changing here with regard to the loan to income so the central bank isn't coming in and saying you know we're going to change our rules. You you still borrow three and a half times your income and then... Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's not changing. So, but that means that if the interest rates go up, the repayment capacity might be a little bit. Yes. So the two main fundamental rules when you're looking to borrow are income and evidence of repayment capacity or affordability. So the lenders are all always looking to say, how can you show us that you can afford to repay this mortgage? And they stress test that. So they say, okay, these are the you want to borrow three hundred thousand. This is the proposed repayment, but they'll add two percent to the rate that you're taking the mortgage out at and they'll stress test it. So obviously the more, the higher the interest rate goes the higher that stress test is. Now in Ireland we obviously have the macroprudential lending rules which mean that we're capped at three and a half times multiple of income. So that interest rate increases prior to those rules would have impacted how much you can borrow because it's all to do with your debt service ratio and the portion of your income Mm. to your mortgage, uh, proposed mortgage repayment. But because of the central bank rules they're restrictive and they actually 
probably won't impact on how much you can borrow unless you're looking for an exception to those rules but they certainly will impact on what you're repaying every month and what's affordable to you. Yeah, so a bank now looking at, at Joe and Mary Soap coming along first time borrowers to buy their house they'll now be more conscious look, if interest rates go up and they are we now have to show or you have to show us that you can afford to pay it at the higher rate of interest rates, rates went up by what? Nearly 2% yes. is, is the stress test. Yeah, Is that it? Yeah, always. There's always a stress test at 2%. Okay. It has been the case. Okay. So the banks are building in that, factoring in that, what if rates did increase? So they've done that throughout, you know, they've always done that. So it's to build in some sort of a, a prudent lending model where they okay, say so maybe things aren't so bad for those who are in the process no, now. just having to pay it back at a higher rate <laughs> is the problem. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so maybe fixes your message, is at, that? Yeah. I, I always think for you know for first time buyers you're starting into your new mortgage you're like you're, you probably don't have a lot of disposable yeah. income to be able to put more in or lump some uh, you know amounts into your mortgage so fixed is always great you know where you stand you know what you're going to be hit with when you're buying furniture and doing up the garden and all the usual stuff that life throws at you it's great to know what you're paying I think for first time buyers you know at the moment uh, you know over 80% of mortgages are drawn down on fixed rates and that's because fixed rates are lower but also because as consumers we like certainty over repayments and I think first time buyers in particular love that yeah. All right. Well, there you have it now. That's the expert voice, Martina Hennessy from Doddle.ie. Martina, you're going to be busy over the next few months. We'll probably have you in again if they go up uh, again and try and reassure people because everything just seems so much more expensive at the moment. Absolutely. It's it's, it's no fun right now when everything is going up. Upward inflation is the nasty word right now and it's hitting yeah. everything, including interest rates. All right. Well, listen, thanks for coming into studio to bring us all up to date with that uh, and still to come on the home show after the break as Trinity College is named among the top 100 universities in the world, I'm going to be learning about its more unusual and interesting architectural features. Stay tuned and we'll chat to you in a few moments. And you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. And before the break, I had Martina Hennessy from Doddle.ie talking about all things mortgages and what to do if you are a tracker customer or a variable customer or a fixed rate customer. So if you missed that, do listen back to it. It is up on the News Talk website or will be uh, by Go Loud. Now, something completely different. It was founded in the 1590s and Trinity College Dublin's stunning architecture draws tourists year after year and it was recently named one of the top 100 universities in the world, although I think that was probably for academic achievement rather than beauty. Uh, well, architectural historian Emma Gleese joins me now in studio to discuss its gems beyond the Book of Kells uh, and take notice of more unusual aspects the next time you visit. Emma, you're very welcome to studio. Thanks, Sinead. It's nice to have you here. Now, as you'd expect from a campus nearly 500 years old, Trinity, it's a complete mishmash of architectural styles and structures and buildings. How do you think it all merges together? Um, Well, I'm glad that you mentioned it's a mishmash. I think people think it's this campus frozen in time and we think of the old library and like you said, the Book of Kells and almost this Hogwarts feel when we walk up to the front gate. And there is that, a bit of that. Which is great. They do preserve that very well. And Trinity are a great client and showing the best examples of every generation of architecture which I think reflects really well on the college. It's it's like saying mm. our students and scholars are the best of our generation, so we want our architecture to look the same. So because of the popularity of, of the old library, people actually forget there's great examples of 20th century and 21st century buildings on the campus as well. There are, and um, there's some beautiful examples. Now, there's also some <laughs> less so. I mean, the 70s wasn't a stellar period in architecture, in my view, and there's a brutal and <laughs> 
brutalist arts building, for instance, which uh, doesn't uh, fly everybody's uh, flag. Uh, but tell us about some of the ones that we, are your favourites, some of the ones that people maybe should take a look at the next time they're up in Trinity. Yeah, so when you're there in the summer or you're, you know, you're bringing your cousins there to see the book at Kells, um, there's a beautiful building called the Museum Building. Mm. And even though it's it's so ornate in its own right, it can kind of be overshadowed by all the queues going to the old library. Um, so it's a, a, an 18th century building by a Cork firm called Dean and Woodward. And they have uh, decorated so beautifully by another uh, Cork uh, firm, Stonemasons, the O'Shea Brothers. And if you actually stop and look at the building, you see beautiful polished limestone and these Irish marbles and um, just the ornate work on the columns. Um, they, 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 they sculpted from real flowers and leaves and birds that were all around the campus. And if you're lucky enough to get a tour inside, again, you're just blown away by the, the, the Connemara um, green marble all down the handrail and an Italian stone on the wall. It's it's just, um, it's like st- stepping inside a jewel box when you go inside that building. Oh, it's a lovely description. And so uh, tell me now about the next thing, the Berkeley Library, very well known. It's been around an awful long time, as long as I am, for sure. Tell me a little bit about that and its design. Yeah, so like I said, there's some buildings on the campus, they, they, they evoke a bit of a reaction. And the Berkeley Library, when you first look at it, it's a bit, oh, I wasn't expecting that here when you bring visitors there. Um, so I love the story behind it. So uh, they had an international competition in 1961 and this young fellow called Paul Carillac, he was just a, an architectural graduate. It was his first time entering anything and himself and his two classmates they set up when they graduated a firm called ABK Architects and he was 28 and he beat everybody from all over the world and he won this competition and the, the resulting library is a little bit different from what he entered but the, the campus gave him the time the college to mentor him and to bring this amazing concrete uh, uh, building right there standing between the 19th century um, museum building and the 18th century building to its other side and it really holds its own next to these two big It really sticks out though doesn't it? It does but in a way when you stand and look at it on its own it's so generous it stepped back and it it created this uh, plaza in in Mm. front of it and it's so clever because all the storage is underneath this podium that it's, it's set up so when you're standing there you're actually standing on all the, the the storage facilities for all the books in the library and they they poured the concrete into Douglas fir uh, formwork this, these planks all the carpenters and it gives a beautiful um, timber marking to the concrete you know like um, pressing your fingerprints mm-hmm. on the concrete and it really is a testimony to all the craftsmen that that built uh, that building I mean you think of Dublin in the 1960s um uh, Carolac said when he came back here for the site visits, there was donkeys pulling the 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 the, the carts yeah. of cement. Yeah. He was shocked. So this must have looked extraordinarily modern when it was built. Oh, it did. When you think and of Dublin, futuristic nearly. Yeah, like Dublin in the nineteen sixties. What what we had so far was Basaurus and Liberty Hall and Hawkins House. Dublin had not seen the like of it, but it got in all the architectural publications of the day in the newspapers it was it really w- was an international standard that building we had it right here in Dublin right in the middle of the city Now of course everybody is familiar with the long room and it is probably one of the most beautiful buildings anywhere in the world I, I'd say it's right up there When you look at that what do you see as an architectural I mean this has everything it has the architecture it has the history it has the patina, it has the scent, it has the smell, it has everything um, that you want from a magnificent library. 
Well, when I look at it, I yes, it is stunning and beautiful. Um, but also I love that it changes with the time. So it originally had a flat roof, but it was designed by Thomas Burr. And Dean and Woodward, who did the museum building, they actually went back and they, because it's, it's such an old building, it's 18th century, the old mm-hmm. library, and they, they gave it that borrow vaulted roof. Oh, I didn't realise that wasn't always there. That's interesting. So that yeah. was put on afterwards. Yeah, like over time buildings need work. So that's why I always despair when people's uh, knee-jerk reaction to a building needing maintenance is let's knock it down. It's like, no, you can you can restore it, you can renovate it, yeah. you can keep it. And improve life it going. In, and, um, in that case. Yeah, um, you know, uh, architects don't mind later generations coming back and um, adding features that mightn't have been technologically impo- possible at the time, but with, with more technological innovations, you can improve the building. Now, what else do you recommend? Um Again, it's another, you know, it evokes a lot of emotions, these buildings. I love the the Douglas Hyde Gallery and you might actually miss it. So it's at the interface between the city and the, the campus, the arts block. So when you're going into the Nassau Street entrance, yeah. if you turn to your left, I, I call it the, the, the bunker gallery. It's gorgeous. So again, ABK Architects designed this and you go in and the, the artwork actually welcomes you. You go down this beautiful cantilevered staircase and again, it was done by pouring concrete into this formwork. And I got a tour of uh, the carpenter did it at the time. He's only 19 years old. He said, I've never done this before. And they said, just give it a go and see what happens. And it's <laughs> it's just stunning. And Give uh, it a go. Give it a go and have a try. And it's right. great. Back then you were given the time and yeah, space and yeah. encouragement to do that. Oh God, there'd be EU tenders <laughs> now and there'd be architects plans and sign off by 17 committees. There'd be no give it a go. There wouldn't. So uh, back then, the, the, I know there was a lot of faults with the, that era, but uh, back in the 70s, they, they, they did mentor people. And then in 2001, um, McCullough Mulvan Architects, they did the, the smaller gallery, Gallery 2. But again, there's this beautiful door. It's like a camera aperture and there's 16 different ways you can slide the door. So if you're there and maybe get them on a quiet day, you can ask them to show you this, this beautiful wooden door that goes into the, the Gallery 2. Yeah, and that's actually um, a very popular feature nowadays. In you see them in the grand designs and the the kind of the super posh houses with the massive ceilings. They have these doors that kind of slide, they turn, they move around, they kind of disappear into the walls. Um, and and I suppose you forget that it was in the innovation in these large public buildings where that really get gets its day out, if you like, or its its innovation. Yeah, because clients see that and they go, "I want that," and then it trickles down and it gets onto TV shows and then we watch it and go, oh, I'd, I'd like that in my kitchen. Now, uh, anything else for us, Emma? I love uh, another beautiful building that gets a little bit overlooked with the queues for the Book of Kells is uh, the Printing House. It's by Richard Castle or Castle, some people call him. It was built in 1734. It's this little garden temple in the middle of the campus. And um, Trinity announced earlier this year they're, they're, they're going to have to move the Book of Kells to that building while they renovate the old library. So oh, the queues right. will be going up to this beautiful okay. little, this little Doric uh, temple uh, in the future. So that's something to look out for. And then finally, um, people might have noticed a lot of building work going on behind Printing House. So it's a new student accommodation called Printing House Square. And it, it was designed by McCullough Mulvan Architects. And sadly, um, the one of the directors, uh, Niall McCullough, he died uh, last summer and it's his last work and some people say his greatest work. So the next time you're around that area, it, it looks like a white mountain range, these these folding oh, roofs. Yeah. There you'd notice it going by on Pierce you Street. Would. And that's student accommodation. It's student accommodation. Lucky students. That's lucky student accommodation. Students. Absolutely. It looks like um 
like it is very white. You can't. It's gorgeous. Miss those, yeah, it re- it's really striking. Domes. That white. That design then it, it does kind of stand <laughs> stand out. It um, does in its surroundings and what's there. But is there a bit too much of let's try and do something completely different? Like, do you think maybe the whole conversation around moulding and fitting in with what's what's in your surroundings or trying to replicate something that maybe was was built here 100 years ago? Is that all gone now at the at the kind of the risk of, oh, let's do flashbang wallop? So I study conservation and we had this is the debate we had all the time. Like, do you do what we call pastiche, like build it all to look the exact same, like you see in European cities like Bratislava? Um, but actually the debate is it's actually a lie if you build something to look older than it really is and it makes it more difficult for people like myself who aren't an architect to come back later and go is this old is this new and in a way I think the likes some people get it very wrong but the likes of McCullough Mulvin I think they've they've taken their influences from the Georgian buildings around them and the mountain range and at first it is oh that's very white but when it weathers a bit and you get used to it you'll find that it, it actually fits in perfectly with the area. And when you're standing in the middle of the college looking at the printing house in somehow this this huge curving building around a courtyard, it's deferential to the printing house, to the older um, the older building, which yeah. is, is quite a skill. And I don't know how they how McCullough Mulvin did it, because like you said, on paper, you think a big, white, curving it's building. Like it, it looks it it could look on paper, I'm sure, to the uninitiated like me, like just a carbuncle stuffed in this space that just looks so utterly at odds with what's around it. And I and I just wonder whether that that's nearly become you have to do that now rather than is there another option to do it more sympathetically with what was there before? Yeah, like I'd agree that some architects and they want their name out there and they want the shock appeal, but... With the likes of, of the the printing house square, I think when it opens, hopefully they'll give tours of the building. And I think once you're you're in the courtyard and you're looking around and you realise Trinity have actually created another gateway for the public to go through Pierce Street and to make it more permeable again. And they've created a public square, which they don't have to do mm-hmm. and which is very generous to give back space to the city because... God knows we need it. And mm-hmm. that's one of the benefits of Trinity. They're, they're like this this moment of calm and the chaos of traffic mm. and 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 crowds. It won't be to everyone's taste, but I think um the new the newer buildings on the campus are are so sensitive and they're very it, uh, they call it contextual mindfulness. It's it they're very oh, aware right. of their okay. I think they're very aware of their surroundings and they're very they're deferential to the older buildings out there and they're not trying to jump up and down and go look at me. But you other people might disagree with me. Yeah, and and I think that's okay if if we all disagree with each other because yeah. that's the whole point, isn't it? it? It's about the emotion that this these buildings and these structures kind of create in you that might be utterly different from somebody else. Same as reading a book or or looking at a painting, I suppose, uh, from that perspective. All right, Emma Gleese, thank you so much for joining us. What what are, what are you up to at the moment? Um, I'm writing a series uh, called One Hundred Buildings: The Twentieth Century on RT Culture website. You'll find my buildings. buildings there. Are you going to tell us what your top one is or is that a secret? Um, I, I leave it open for people's interpretation <laughs> and I'm very happy for people to, to disagree with me. All right. OK. Emma Gleese, uh, architectural historian. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on the home show today.
Now, coming up, what is broken plan living? Well, former Home of the Year winner Jennifer Sheehan will be here to explain all. And as always, you can get your questions into us. Email them to thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You can text us on 53106. And I'm still looking for comments on what you thought about Michael D's uh, comments uh, during the week on housing and housing strategy. Uh, So join me back here in a few minutes with Jennifer. And you're very welcome back to the home show here on News Talk with me, Sinead Ryan. And I am delighted to welcome back to our studio, <laughs> Jennifer Sheehan, a former Home of the Year winner. And uh, if you want a post-pandemic alternative to open plan living and open plan space, Jennifer, broken plan living. What broken in the name of living. all that is holy is broken plan living. Bring us up to date. <laughs> we can't just stick with the same old. Um, so broken plan living, I think, is something that came up during the pandemic as a bit of a response to all of this open plan, living, kitchen, dining, no walls in our house at all um, and that was great because it was nice and airy and there's lots of space the flow, and you can see Jennifer, and the, the flow, flow and the light yeah. and the energy it's wonderful 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 but it doesn't give you any privacy and it doesn't give you any noise uh, reduction if you're trying to work from home especially if there's more than one person trying to work from home mm. um, and so broken plan living is the new hybrid let's say between your private office and your nice open flow airy space. Okay so tell us then in practical terms if people because people are kind of in this hybrid I know lots of people have gone back to the office uh, but there are still lots of people who prefer that kind of like me yeah. sometimes in the office sometimes out um, and, and it, as you say if you more than one and maybe the kids are going to be home now for the summer uh, give us some practical examples of how we can break up our fabulous open flow <laughs> and all the light that we spent so much money building in our homes. Yeah, and you don't necessarily have to get a contractor in for this, right? Okay, we don't need walls really, and doors. You're no, not talking No, not about really. Okay. No, there's lots of really easy solutions because you don't really need to be completely locked away in a room, mm. you know, in a little box working away by yourself all day. You can still be part of your kind of open plan uh, family, let's yeah, say. Yeah. Um, but anyway, there's some easy ways to do it. So, number one, freestanding book cases. Very, very simple, very effective. And it's surprising actually how good books are at noise reduction. So even if you didn't want to go full height, even if it's something that you wanted to bring maybe halfway into the room or something like that, a freestanding bookcase to kind of zone off an area and create a little office in behind that gives you your privacy, gives you a bit of noise hmm. reduction and you can still have some of the light flowing through because you don't have to have it, you know, fully stacked floor to ceiling. You can get some some space So you're talking about one of these like peninsulas or yeah. isthmus. Isthmus. What did um, you say? Isthmus. 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 This is not back to primary school geography. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so a word I used to be able to say as a kid. Sticks into the room at, at a perpendicular angle from the wall. Yeah. See, so here's what I'm thinking. Okay. <laughs> you might think as you shuffle very mindfully around your freestanding bookcase chutting into the room, I'm thinking of dogs and kids yeah. and then careering into it. I'm wondering um, how strong your kids are if they're going to knock over a whole bookcase. Uh, they're all adults. They're coming in My at three in the morning with a few beers on them at this stage so they're well capable of it. No, they can be okay. secured. They can be secured to the wall or okay. they can be secured to the ceiling with just a couple of brackets and really you know it's not that easy to, to fully push them over at that stage and I think it probably when you're talking about the books there it is a good idea because I mean they just deaden sound they don't really they really do yeah. it's really really effective I have to say and again you know even if you put up a, a small partition wall that might not be as effective as 
putting up bookshelves mm. they really absorb sound and mm. so if you need that bit of privacy but you still want to kind of see what's going on and pop your head around the bookshelf and don't, and you knock don't it have over to spend anyway. a fortune I mean you can buy those Billy bookcases or you know Billy bookcases kind of, are the dream yeah, yeah. For something like this and because they come with the brackets they're double some of them are double sided um, yeah not the not the Billy ones but some of the IKEA ones they're they're open on both sides yeah exactly so you could even have you know books kind of facing you if that's what you wanted for your Zoom background let's say because that looks really good and then you could have some very well placed you know objects looking into your living room and yeah you can have a totally different yeah. style now are you a fan with the old bookcase of putting in not just book my bookcase just has books in yeah, it yeah I know what some you mean. people have strategically placed little bits of statuary or, or a little f- kind of flower or, or a photograph yeah. or something I never know when that just looks like clutter yeah, I think, it, I think it looks great, but I just have too many books to be able to do that. I don't have any space to put any phases or anything. I have it on, I have kind of um, picture shelves where I have a few pictures and then I have, it took me, I'm not kidding, days to get this layout right of, you know, little bits of vases and little bits and pieces, but I never touch it. I leave it at that. Whereas bookshelves, I'm using it and I put the book in, I put the book out yeah. and I, you know, I like swapping things around and getting new ones and all that okay, kind of stuff. Okay, so that's freestanding bookcases. Great for dividing yes. up a space without cutting it off. Uh, now, Internal windows. Internal what, what, windows. What this now about? So you might need to get a contractor for this one, but you don't have to spend a huge amount of money on this because obviously just a single pane of glass, you're not, you know, you don't have to get You've no double glazing, no supporting okay, walls, fine. and just a really simple timber frame can be put in. And again, this could just be used to kind of section off a small part of it. It could come out a little bit from your side wall, um, you know, place it in the same way that you'd place a bookcase. And again, it just gives you that little bit of privacy, zones off the space, a little bit of noise reduction, while still allowing you to get that light through, that flow through, that sense of space. You know, it, it doesn't really interrupt that sense of open plan at all. But do you have to build you this frame for it or can you you'd buy want to build them with the window? Frame. Oh, yeah. You'd want to okay. build a little frame. Yeah, you would. Now, if you didn't want to go full window, another thing you could do is install a nice curtain. And it might sound weird just to have a, a curtain in the middle of your living room, right. but you can get lovely kind of heavy tapestry drape ones that you could almost pull around you while, you ha- while you're working away and then push it back and then that room becomes part of your full open plan space again in the evenings when you're not Look needing it like anymore. a shower curtain. Yeah. Not don't get a shower curtain. <laughs> don't get a shower curtain. <laughs> but it really ni- almost like a tapestry or voile okay. could be nice but I'm not sure about the noise reduction in you a voile. You sometimes see those in the super posh restaurants which I don't frequent terribly often I'll, it has to be said but around banquets. Say you a stranger now. You? you know and just have a kind of a a lovely piece yeah. of satin or voile that kind of just discreetly co- covers off yeah. a banquette or something like nice that. Nice and discreet. Push it back away when you're, when you're not finished. That you know they don't have to just cover cover windows. Okay, so I think that's clever. Right. Okay. And anything else now? If you have a bit more money bit and you more want to money. go full tilt, yeah. Yeah, a bit more money. A really ideal thing to do is install a mezzanine. It's, it's such a space ah, saver. Here. Now, you have to have huge <laughs> high ceilings, right? So right, this is obviously not for me. This is for a completely different house. But if you find yourself in one of those big, airy, you know, huge ceilings, open plan living spaces. Double and height. Well, they were all the rage in the halls and that. There was a yeah. period in the Celtic Tiger where they were all the rage and people were building double high scenes only to and be alive. double staircases God, and all that kind of stuff. With this space? Yeah. They're a nightmare for noise. The noise yeah. is just reverberating around everything. So mm. if you're trying to work in a space like that, you might have found that a little bit uh, frustrating. And so being able to put on a little platform your office away from you know, the regular height of everything else gives a surprising amount, again, of privacy and space without completely interrupting or, or walling off, let's say, um, a whole separate office. So just on a little platform, put your desk up there, put your, you know, a couple of bookshelves, mm. whatever you want up there. And maybe even with those little glass balustrades 
um, to section oh, it off yeah. and that actually okay. again very effective and the glass they're acrylic you can get lots of different types of ones yeah it doesn't but, have to be the heavy yeah, kind of. yeah now that's not DIY territory I'm thinking well it depends on how savvy you are but no I would <laughs> imagine for 90% of the population that's not DIY that's getting somebody that's, in to measure that's and getting make sure that, that you're not going to fall down yeah. when you're up there yeah. alright okay mezzanine but not huge either you know it's Good. not a supporting structure so okay. it's, it's fairly straightforward okay right well look great uh, tips there for breaking up space I just want <laughs> you know, we went to all this trouble of taking down all the walls and the doors and now here we are putting them all back in again. But, uh, you know, people want to live the way they have to live. And if you've yeah. got more than one person living in your house, you're going to need private zones, really, yeah, aren't you? they're probably driving you absolutely crazy at this stage. Yeah. So just a little bit of something to, to separate you from them yeah. for a few hours a day, I think. All is right, idea. Jennifer. Uh, I am speaking with Jennifer Sheehan, uh, who is giving us great tips on that. Now, the chances are you are more out and about and certainly in the garden. Uh, Jennifer, you're heading to the seaside, are you? I'm go- I'm always heading to the seaside. <laughs> a part, I, my next, I know I always say I'll never, ever get uh, shoehorned out of my beautiful house, but my next yeah. one will be by the seaside. Yeah, do I'm a do big are you, are you one of the, the sea swimmers? Yeah. Counting people who aren't sweet sim- sea swimmers at the moment seems to be the easier thing, you know? Yeah, I am. And I, I'm you? so thrilled for it during lockdown. It was a group of colleagues of mine, if anyone's listening, big shout out to our Friday Sim group um, who started. We used to go on Friday mornings and would arrive into the office on Fridays very smug after having swam in the sea and go in for our yeah. fry in the canteen and tell everybody in the office that we'd been for a swim that morning. But it was, I mean, it was a real saviour during lockdown. Anyone who, who is a sea swimmer would know that. It was fantastic. Okay. So, yeah, I'm off to the seaside. If you aren't near the seaside and can't do that and the thought of getting into the Irish water (laughs) makes you shrivel up, uh, there's lots of people now that will be looking towards this summer and fingers crossed it'll be a fabulous one from here on in, says she, not knowing that it could be hailstone tomorrow. (laughs) Um, So pools and ponds and paddling pools and hot tubs and all that are making an appearance uh, once again. So you've been having a look around at different price points let's yes. say about what you could do and where you could go tell us what you found yeah I'm going to stop short of actually installing a pool in your house because I'm just going to assume for most listeners that's not that's really an option not going to be an option but okay. I always got asked you know over the past year was there anything different you do in your house and for me it was I would love a pool because I just you know it's great having a bit of water yeah, Jennifer, you're not for going our to two summer weekends your, that we in your tiny <laughs> and perfect home there's no chance of that so I threw it out there a few times and I got some really cool suggestions back and there are alternatives no I'm not going to have a pool I'm not going to be swimming laps in my two by two little garden courtyard but there's options so obviously the standard paddling pool is huge right now you can get little, you know, 10, 20 euro ones in the pound shop and they're perfectly adequate and they blow up and they're fine. But there's a brand called Mini Dip. We've spoke about them before, Sinead, when we did a piece a few months ago on inflatable furniture. And they are, you'd have to buy them from the States. So there's a bit of an import fee, but they're not that expensive. They're, they're around kind of 50, 60 quid. And they are gorgeous. A real kind of 60s, 70s aesthetic and just really, really pretty looking pools. And so get your paddling pool out and you can stick that in a very small garden even mine. Okay. <laughs> How warm it is will depend on, you know, yourself what and what you can fill it yeah. with. But yeah, basically, <laughs> exactly. so paddling pools. The next one that, that has been recommended to me a couple of times actually in the past few weeks and a friend of mine uh, has has gotten one in their, in their own house is inflatable hot tubs. This I, is the dream. These are popping up everywhere. I went off to buy some plants and a bit of compost during the week and what was on display Really? In, in, in the garden centre, except inflatable hot tubs. And I'm thinking, 
where have we come from? Uh, but it just makes so much sense when you think about it because a hot this tub is, takes up a lot of space. This is paddling pool now for grown-ups. This is paddling pool plus okay. plus with all the bells and whistles exactly, yeah. So just like a paddling pool, you inflate it, you deflate it. Now, it actually takes a few hours to heat it up, which I was quite surprised at. And it's just something to think about if, if, you know, it's not something you'd come home at the end of the day and you blow okay. it up and you're in there in half an hour. You need to have it on even overnight potentially or, you know, before you head out the door to work and before you're finished at the end of the day. So that involves a level of predictability with Irish weather that we just don't really have. So something yeah. to bear in mind. Having said that, they fold down to nothing um, and they're, I've seen them in, in B&Q for about €380. Euro, so much more cost effective than installing you know, a full Canadian wooden gorgeous yeah. hot tub in your garden yeah. that's just going to sit there covered for and, the most And how do, how do you heat that? Like, how does that work? Is it connected then to your electricity you plug it in. supply? Okay. Yes, you plug it in. So I know a current electricity rate's yeah. maybe that's not the best That's an expensive way to have a yeah. bath in the yeah. garden, isn't it? Is. it? Okay. Yeah, it is. So you plug it in, you let it heat up and then it has, a, some of them got like jacuzzi yeah. jets. They have jacuzzi that jets, oh, they see. have massage jets. They're actually quite uh, sophisticated for something that falls down to, again, effectively nothing. Yeah. But, you know, easy to store away and um, you can have a nice expensive hot tub bath. And leave the wine within reach on the side. They have wine holders. They have cup holders. They have beer holders. They have wine holders. Now, I don't think they're going to keep it cool for you, but somebody has been thinking ahead on that. All right. That's the inflatable hot tub. I suspect that may well be very, very popular this year. Now, listen, if you can fill up your paddling pool with a hot water jet you might be doing a little bit better <laughs> yeah. Jennifer thank you very much thank you for having me and that is all we've time for this week if you'd like to get involved in the show or a question for me or Jennifer topic you'd like to hear us cover well then please do get in touch 53106 for 30 cent or email us during the week at the home show at newstalk.com you will find us there every one of those is read uh, and don't forget to check out the podcast on the News Talk website thanks to Marisa Sullivan who is producing today with Stephen McLoon on sound Anton Savage is up next have a wonderful warm sunny weekend and remember we are here every Saturday at 8 o'clock <laughs>